Hello and welcome back to another episode of League Talk, the podcast all about management, coaching, performance and all things League of Legends. My name is AJ and on today's podcast we have Diabolus's own team director. Now I think that's your official job title, yep. team director, yep. whose name is Coach, so wrap that one around your head. But welcome, uh, thank you so much for your time, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, why don't you give us a little introduction about yourself, it could be absolutely anything. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm Jack Coach Fenton. Um, yeah, I go by coach, which I I love how much that confuses people, um, especially because my job title is not actually necessarily coach. Yeah. But, um, I go by coach because it's kind of what I've done all my life, uh, coaching in any shape or form, uh, kind of physical coaching, sports coaching, obviously esports coaching, but also I'm kind of that kind of friend that helps you with real life stuff coaches you through that kind of stuff so I thought it was quite fitting I changed to it at university because I was doing a lot of coaching and I just got started I was being called coach at university by all my friends and teammates so kind of just felt uh, felt natural so got went by that so that's me um and like looking forward to telling you more about myself throughout the interview fantastic it's really for me that's super interesting because um and this is something that i speak quite openly about and obviously with my time working in esports i've been doing the podcast for sort of eight nine ten months now and then the mm. last three months have been working in the uk scene for league of legends as well um but the thing that i notice um and this isn't necessarily anyone's fault but it's, it's good to hear that uh, your background in coaching has developed you to be where you are now you know yeah there is a lot of times where coaches in esports i've noticed aren't necessarily a coach do you know what i mean mm -hmm. they don't understand yeah. coaching practice how to coach people things like that so obviously a huge strength for you there um but it links nicely to the sort of first question that i wanted to ask you and the topic that i wanted to chat around was your pathway because pathways are super interesting um and mm. your pathway is specifically interesting for a bunch of different reasons i didn't actually know that you were a coach previously to working in esports yep. so that adds another sort of facet to it but um you're the co-founder and president of warwick esports so yeah. Warwick Esports is the biggest or most dominant, I would say, yeah. university League of Legends team and one of the big esports uh, universities in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, but your pathway, if you would just be happy to talk about that a little bit and we'll go around that topic. So traditional sports, you said you went yeah. into esports, still active in Warwick, I presume? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm their president right now. So Wonderful. So your pathway to, let's, let's go from like inception, from the moment you yeah. wanted to be coaching <laughs> yeah. to where you are now. Well... Like you say, um, it doesn't start with just esports. Mm. So uh, I used to do a lot of athletics. Started that when I was around 13, like uh, running. Um, so it was cross country and athletics. And I got involved with um, like a slightly bigger club where I kind of took part. Um, and then a smaller one opened up near me um, in my village because I live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, and I got involved with this new club and they were looking for coaches and stuff. And I was like, I was only like 13 14 at the time but i was like you know i'll, I'll you know i'll help out if there's people that want to learn from what i know then i'll kind of impart it where i can so i started coaching just just kind of for the thrill of it really just kind of as a pastime mm -hmm. um in that scene and i did a lot of coaching for adult beginner runners so people who had like never actually ran before in their lives and did some couch to 5k programs where i helped kind of adults who obviously i was 13 but these people were like sure anything from mid-20s to in their like 60s 70s um so everyone had unique issues unique problems that they had to overcome um and like some of them are still running today and doing really impressive times and that was what got me into it because i really loved kind of helping people with that progression over overcoming like personal issues and things like that 
Um, so that was the that was the that was the inception of my coaching career, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that all the way through. I did a lot of obviously. I was still compet- I was running competitively along at the time. I was top 100 UK for cross country when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I kind of I got quite bored of it to be honest because running is not the most interesting thing to do, especially as a 15 year old. So. <laughs> Um, I got kind of bored of it, even though I probably could have gone a lot further. Uh, I was starting to get scouted and stuff, but I think it was when I first got scouted and someone said like, oh, you have to come to this thing on this day at this time. Mm-hmm. I was like, I couldn't be bothered to get up early. And then that made me realize that actually I'm not in this enough um, to kind of keep doing it because it's like you go hard or you go home when it gets to that point. Um, when you get you when after 15 sports go you go hard or you go hard, mm. like that's the kind of yeah. turning point right I mean you'll you'll know that from your experience so I kind of decided to go home um, and I still do a lot of sport to this day but um, that's when I ca- continued sport coaching but didn't compete as much mm. uh, and then I got into video games and stuff and esports actually just came randomly I guess when I joined university um, I was playing League of Legends and stuff just as a pastime and I was looking for some form of esports society because I went to uni for the, the lifestyle um, for to meet people to get involved with societies and clubs and all of that was much more my intent than the course itself um, uh, we'll, get, we'll probably talk about the course later because I do a lot of esports stuff with that but I think that I kind of just got involved with this society and started running kind of the esports stuff and coordinating all the games and realizing how big the world was and uh, i think that's what got me into esports coaching so that's probably my progression but obviously i did a lot more in the last two three years i've done so much more and got myself into the world of esports much deeper so yeah so there's a couple of things there that i think is really interesting and and the first thing that uh, i've noticed as well and maybe you have a, an opinion on this is from traditional sports coaching mm. um, in my world, I have coached and regularly do coach people that are better than me at the given sport, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And, and this is something that uh, I found through talking to people can get a little bit of pushback in esports, right? So I yeah, yeah, I, you... I, I'm on, um, I totally agree with yeah. you on this. When you mentioned it in the intro, I was yeah. like, I have to bring you up on this. Yeah. So the, the, the thing that I notice is, uh, firstly, when you were playing, uh, what stage mm. were you playing to? Were you playing to like, Plat, gold, silver, challenges. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Around, around the kind of gold plat kind of area. Like when I do play, I used to play for fun as well. I didn't used to. Well, I wasn't the kind of person with hours and hours under my belt. Um, I think it was because I quickly realised I preferred watching. Um, and obviously coaching is where my background was. Um, and I got involved with just a casual team in the uni scene. Um, in Newell, the National University yeah. Esports League. Um, and my my university enters like 10 plus League of Legends teams every year. Oh, wow. um, we enter many, many teams into many, many games mm. every year. Uh, we're one of the highest kind of in terms of people that we throw at yeah. all the leagues. Um, and I was just one of the kind of lower end ones, like a team of golds and plats. Mm. And I really enjoyed playing in the team environment. Um, and when we started taking games off like the full diamond teams yeah. and like, um, I was I realized that Actually, it was all about cohesion, coordination, and like knowing the game really well, which Mm. I did. And I'm quite good with strategy and just managing individuals. So we never tilt and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was when I kind of realized that actually I really enjoy this. And at the time, 
I was doing research as part of my degree. Um, you're allowed to research whatever you want. So I study linguistics. Uh, it's my course called Language, Culture and Communication. Um, and you can research anything you want as long as it's a language-based research project. So I wanted to research the language of esports at first quite loosely, um, basically focusing on cohesion. And I did this in the first term of my first year, just using my casual team that I was playing with, just using data from my team and stuff. And then in the second year, I reached out to our top team, which was the number one in the UK at the time, Ray Warwick, yeah. um, and asked them, could I use your data for my second term project? Uh, and then at the end of, but over Christmas, I applied for some funding from the university so that I could put, take my universe, my research even further. Um, I went from doing it as just as part of my studies to doing it in my spare time. And then I flew out to Berlin for two weeks to do my research because I got granted a thousand from thousand pounds to do my research from the university. Um, because I, I was quite, I obviously I was successful in my bid for some funding. Um, and my head of undergraduate studies, uh, she worked quite closely with me because she does similar research to me, but not in esports. Um, so she really thought what I was doing was really interesting because I was doing it in such a niche context. So she kind of egged me on to get the funding. And I did that work with our first team who won the season and ended up going to an international tournament. Um, and because they knew that I was working with their data and stuff, um, one of, and I, I was quite good friends with Kerberos, who was our, the top laner of the team at the time. Um, and they actually reached out to me like, hey, could you, um, could you help us out with the qualifiers for this international tournament? I was like, yeah, sure. So I pay my help them do drafts. Um, the first round was online, so I just helped them do drafts online. Um, and then they they made semis and got knocked out at semis by the team who won the won that like mini tournament that was the lead up to the main tournament. So they qualified, and I um, they, then they flew out to Portugal, I think it was. Um, at that time, there's, there wasn't any funding for coaches. So I stayed at home and called them on Discord every time they had practice and mm -hmm. ran through practice and everything with them from home, even though they were at they were out at Portugal doing this online tournament. Um, and again, they made semi-finals and got knocked out by Portugal, who won the tournament. Wow. So we had a lot of success. And that was just because they reached out to me like, oh, you've had this experience with like listening to our comms and watching our games. and. I've also just spoke to them a lot about drafts and what I think they should do and stuff. And we, we got, a, I got a lot out of that. So then they were like, Hey, do you want to coach us like long, long term? Like, do you want to stick around? Like, there's not many teams with coaches and their main two of their main roster were leaving. And they were like, no, we, we could do with you kind of keeping us solid. Mm -hmm. So I took a lead on that. Um, and the captain of their team decided to step down so they could focus on his studies. So I kind of took on the coach and captain role, um, and that's what got me really involved in it also. It's very, very kind of natural progression. My studies kind of gave me a coaching opportunity, which gave me another coaching opportunity. Um, and it, yeah. And off the back of that, all of that success, um, I got, I did two months with Singularity while they were um, practicing for the UK finals, mm. um, which was that they got, I think they got reverse sweeped uh, that year. Um, but that was Curb's team, and they 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 were looking for a coach, and um, like they knew about me through Curb, just talking about it in practice, um, and that went really well. And Bloomigan actually took over from me; he's Rogue's coach yeah. now. Um, 
so I went and did some work with them there, uh, just kind of voluntary stuff, just for the kind of experience. Um, so that's kind of how it got got me into it. And I focused on university esports for a full year until now, when I kind of found my way back in. Okay, so stunning. Yeah. So when you were in that environment, obviously you're coming in as someone who was working with linguistics, as you said. Uh, mm. Truthfully, one one could say or one could argue that you weren't a coach at that point. You weren't an yeah. esports coach at League of Legends. Yeah, right? exactly. So when you took on the mantle of taking this uh, team that had been relatively successful yeah you find that with coaching older people coaching people that i don't know if they were older than you necessarily by age but yeah potentially more knowledgeable about the game potentially more experienced yeah. than you with the game was that mm. something that you struggled with or so yeah that was experience and doing things yourself it sort of it was okay and you, you could understand and you could talk to them and it was a completely different environment. yeah because i think it's really important because obviously coaching there's a great deal of importance on how you garner respect and how you negotiate respect but um in esports, like you said, you get a lot of pushback when you're not high elo or X player or something like that. Um, but I think it's really important to kind of point out that they can only ever talk, talk about the game. They can't give you any of the other aspects of coaching, which is so much more important. Um, one of the things that I coached well when I did when I coached sport was not necessarily the sport itself, but a lot of the psychological side of stuff. Because in my opinion, sport is only is only like forty percent the body. It's like 60% kind of in your head uh, believing in yourself etc etc and like an ex-player is not going to be able to do that in fact ex-players are probably worth going to damage that because of the issue of toxicity in esports which is massively reoccurring mm. um, and when I was working with these guys at that point I was only, still quite new to the game I was only, I'd only been playing the game like three years or so and only very casually um, and I kind of learned a lot by bouncing off them and working with them yeah. um and it was a lot of hey give me this idea i will turn this into something that can like tell me more about these champions you play um how can i coordinate those champions with the whole team's roster to bring together a team composition and then that, so i learned a lot of stuff from the basics very quickly in a competitive environment um which basically gave me quite a holistic kind of coaching understanding yeah um so actually, I'm not kind of biased by any player experience because often that can kind of damage your coaching outlook because it's like, oh. well, this worked for me, so it's going to work for them. Mm. Whereas I fully understand that there's hundreds of different learning techniques, um, yeah. especially when as part of my degree, I actually learn learning techniques. I study learning techniques. I study language learning techniques, but a lot of them are transferable to right. learning anything whatsoever. So. I'm quite good at recognizing, okay, you're this type of person, so you'd prefer this style of coaching, and so I can... Yeah, exactly, right? And when you've got five people, and you may have five different coaching styles there, it's really important to, to diversify what you're doing and making sure it's appropriate to everybody, because um, that's what causes hostile environments when two or three of them like the coaching style, but the other two don't, and then it ends up with team internal issues, and it's really important to be able to cater for all your team. Um, and that's something that I could offer that no X player could offer, really. Yeah, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about coaching is uh, coaching styles and the way that you deal with certain situations. This is something mm. that interests me massively, um, especially because um, it, it's so difficult to divide time in the right way, especially when you have different yeah. coaches. If you, yeah. one thing that a coach needs to do, in my opinion, is be malleable to what his uh, students or, or players. Yeah, yeah, team. Yeah, I agree. Right? 
Um, and if you need to be authoritarian with one person, but in another situation you need to be completely discursive, then having the adaptability is so important. Yeah, um, strongly you, agree with that. You also touched on something that I think is possibly the most important thing in esports at the mm -hmm. moment. Um, yeah. It was all to do with the mind, right? Because esports yeah, yeah. is, from my experience, now this is UK level, that's the only experience I have, never been in Europe yeah, yeah. or anything like that. But from yeah. my experience and talking through people on the podcast, and that has been people in Europe, in America, all these different people. Yeah, yeah. Esports seems heavily, heavily, heavily in the camp of focusing exactly on what's going on on this one screen, right? Yeah, this I got, the beautiful yeah. thing and the lucky thing that I got is through being a performance coach for this split was... Um, an, an arbitrary title, but essentially something that was going to help players with everything other than the screen, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and, and one thing that I noticed on your Twitter as well, and I did have a look back, I can't remember when it was, I want to say like a month or two ago, you were talking yeah, about yeah. welfare. Um, yeah, so that was my Twitter longer, yeah, yeah. That was it, and I had to read through that, and that was really interesting to me as well, because it was it was nice to see that someone is has a focus like that, because that's where mm -hmm. the focus has been for the last yeah. three months, four months. Um, and, and making sure people are doing the right things for their mental health, their physical health, and how that, how strongly that's going to impact what they do in the game. Because yeah. psychology is something that I delve a lot into uh, and things like that. So um, in terms of welfare, if you could just sort of sum up that twit longer and talk a little bit about what the welfare of, of, of players and, and physical and mental health and how important you think that is for, for the people in your team and why you yeah. think that's a, a key part to their development. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd strongly agree with you on the fact that that is the most important aspect of kind of well i'd i'd say it's evenly the most important aspects of the game so i think mental i mean health generally is the most important aspect because without help they're not gonna be they're not gonna be playing right um and then communication i think's like a close second um and then then i think then i think you've got to partner that with them their own motivation so those were the three things i looked at um, particularly for my roster this season, um, when I built the roster, mm. those are the three things I wanted in my players, like an ability to communicate well, um, a motivation to learn, um, but most importantly, someone who also cared about their own health, because that's a weird thing to say, right? Surely everybody cares about their own health, but um, a lot of players in esports, unfortunately, will push back if you're putting focus on their real life aspects, because they're like, no, just tell me how to play the game better. Mm -hmm. And... I think that they will always be able to play the game better if they're healthier or if they're more motivated or if they're communicating with their team better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and schedule and stuff like that is one of the things that I've emphasized massively this season um, is that we've worked heavily on kind of well-rounded, genuinely things that will help them in that whole life, not just esports, because um, one thing that I think not just that health is so important and you've got to focus on people's mental health obviously especially with mental health issues being a big issue for this generation let alone for esports where it's an even even bigger issue mm. um or you've got to take into account the fact you're still working you're objectively working with young people um and i've done youth work stuff in the past um in fact that's my kind of family sure. tree my dad's um a professor of youth work um, so he does a lot of stuff. He goes to, all, goes to all sorts of places and talks openly about the problems with how we approach young people and youth work in the UK. Um, and I obviously get a lot of that and we talk about that a lot. Um, and one of the things that I've got off that and also my own experience working with young people in kind of mentoring environments mm -hmm. is that 
regardless of what the end product is or what they're doing at the time, you've still got to understand that they've got like a whole life ahead of them. Um, and for, for a lot of these people, esports is a career, right? So you want them to do as well as possible. But for another 50, 60, 70% of them, esports is either not a career path that they want or um, esports is not going to be a career simply just because that's how sports work mm. and you're, not everyone makes it. And if you're giving them constant short-term goals, you're ridiculing them into playing better. Um, yeah, they might be successful in that current split or maybe the split after that, if they're lucky. A lot of the time, that's why you see so many one-split wonders, mm -hmm. right? And you're damaging them, not just, you're not just damaging their esports career, but you're damaging their whole life. Um, and I think that's the biggest immaturity of esports is that you can have four months like one split with a player if your coach has an extremely authoritarian spoon feeding style they might be amazingly successful but they will actually take multiple steps back in terms of life experience and their genuine understanding of the game but also the world of world around them um and you're kind of screwing them long term so that's what's what i've done a lot of this season is kind of teaching the players not only to think for themselves but also to like increase their health, like realize the importance of going to the gym, yeah. drinking well, waking up in the mornings rather than the afternoons, yeah. um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've not been massively authoritarian because at the end of the day, um, you're like these ERLs shouldn't be treated, like have to be treated as an ERL, right? Like that you shouldn't ridicule them um, and treat them as if they're in a profession, like full on professional environment because I can't have complete control over their lives. Um, but what I have done is basically said that this is your minimum requirement. Um, and if you want to do more, if you want to act more like a professional, you can do. But we have a, a rule. We have an enforced minimum in terms of we have a like a bedtime, etc. You have yeah. to go to bed by this time, get up by this time. You need to be drinking this. We have welfare checks every two weeks. And it's really, really important to me. And I think it, I agree with you there that it is the most important aspect of esports. Yeah, and, so. and the reason I say it's the most important is because um just to clarify this where it's not like oh you don't know what you're talking about because all you think is health and if they're mm. the game well mm. the fact they go to the gym isn't gonna help fine mm. my my opinion so far is that everyone is so focused on the game that what you want is the little edges elsewhere right and if we all if all of the players know to a a relatively you know high standard they know how to play the game they know certain macro details stuff that i don't know about truthfully with you but uh, mm. if they have a, a standard there and they have a good coach who can help them learn further the thing that they're missing out on therefore is everything else so you do eight hours of sleep let's say you do eight hours of league of legends what are you doing for the rest of the time and that's the bit that really interests me you know and yeah the thing that you touched on really nicely is there's a book the reason i look back is because on that shelf over yeah. there, there's a book that i'm reading called the tao of coaching t-a-o yeah and it talks yeah it's a really yeah tao. interesting one um and the reason i think it's really interesting is it mirrors what you said there where in essence one of the points that it makes is if you spend 10 minutes coaching it will save you one hour of other time right so if you coach someone for 10 minutes rather than tell them what to do in essence over time you save about an hour and that's the thing that i think is really key as well if it's the whole give a man a teach a man to fish he'll you know that whatever that one is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Fish, i can't remember what it was yeah um, yeah that's exactly i strongly agree with yeah, that i think that's a beautiful uh, a beautiful thing to to focus on as well but it, we love a good chinese proverb yeah, i can't remember what it was though to be honest um but it, it sort of goes nicely into the next bit because obviously me working as a performance coach i work on some of the things that you're talking about there um, mm. and and that's something that i'm very proud to say 
people have uh, taken to and have done really well with. So I, I yeah. hope that you've had a, a similar sort of uh, yeah. uh, finding that I have. Um, but your current role at Diablos is team director. That's the official mm-hmm. title. And, uh, yeah. and that's an interesting one because as far as I'm aware, you would be considered also a head coach. And I, I presume yes. that goes in there somewhere. But before I yeah. make any other assumptions, as, as that one was, it would be great to hear about the things you do at Diablo. So you've spoken yeah. about welfare, which I think is a really, really, really lucky thing for the players to have, because not all players have that sort of push or that person to help them with that. Um, so mm. welfare, that's something that you talk about. Head coach, is what else is there? Because team director seems like a bigger role than just that. You know? Yeah, so when I was talking to um, Diabolus, uh, then when they approached me, they said, look, we're looking for a a new coach and I said yeah that's that's obviously what I want to do I mean it's my name after all but um I I did ask they said that that what they want the reason they wanted me over other coaches um and they had some decent coaches approach them um the reason that they wanted me and the reason they had they'd had my their eyes on me since we met like a few months beforehand um they actually wanted me to work alongside Hansen mostly on this kind of performance and communication oriented side of things. Um, Hansen moved on um, and they thought, you know what, like they kind of offered me kind of free reign there, which was a big privilege for me. Um, And I kind of asked them for this role that was more like a Premier League manager or if like a football manager where they're like a director, they, they are a head coach. Um, but they're also in charge of the roster. They're in charge of the schedule. They're in charge of um, the managerial side of things. And that's why they're called a manager in football, mm. right? But they're also in charge of, you'll see them in training and you'll see them running all the training and stuff like that. So we've tried to kind of emulate that football coaching format mm. where you have a manager who's actually a coach. Um, but obviously if I was called a manager, then in esports, it's a very different concept. to have. So that's why we came up with the title of director because it kind of encompasses all those responsibilities cool. um so yeah i go i go as head coach as well so um that's what i do in terms of on a day-to-day when i'm doing the more in-depth stuff i will be leading scrims i'll be doing all the five views etc etc i'll do all the coaching responsibilities um but that's where we Zhao, my strategic coach comes in is that he's much more game oriented and strategically oriented um so like if you come to a football team like take um take arsenal for example because i support arsenal right so yeah i know unfortunate (laughs) for me but um unai emery is our like manager Mm -hmm. um he'll run all the trainings he'll dictate transfers um blah 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 um, but then if you're watching them on in a training like a training environment, he'll be going around, he'll be checking things, he'll be the the final say. Um, but then he'll also have a attacking coach and a defensive coach. And that's kind of where Weijiao is because he's both our attack and the defensive yeah, yeah, coach. Yeah. And in the fact that he does the game oriented stuff and talks in depth about things and we'll watch the VOD we'll be watching the game the scrims live together and the discussing everything that's going on um and then we'll plan um form that into a plan of how we can improve on that um which i think is the optimal dynamic as well Mm -hmm. i mean you see in na they often have two coach they have the two coach system now Mm. um and that's the way that we're doing it it's very much a co-coaching scenario so i think it's best understood as we're both kind of managing the head coach role together um and then i do all of the infrastructure side and the uh, like welfare stuff on top of that. Yeah. Um, so. 
and I think I think that's really really nice. Uh, and the reason I think that's so good is one of my biggest idols is Weldon Green. Uh, Weldon Green yeah. is the head coach of CLG. The reason I think he's, mm-hmm. he's my biggest idol is because he's done in essence what I would love to do. And I think what he's done is is taken things that he's learned from the world of traditional sports, being previously a swimming coach, I believe he was, um, and mm-hmm. moved into esports and taken the things that he's known and has worked on and has spent. 10 years or however long creating and applied it and the reason i think yeah. he's done such a good job is actually very similar to the structure that you have now currently weldon is the head coach and i think mm-hmm. this is a i can't speak highly enough of what this uh the way that he structures his his dynamic is is he's the head coach and from what i understand he will work on how to get the best out of practice work on the mental side things doing things like meditations yeah. uh, one of the things mm-hmm. i learned a lot about yeah. this year is meditations and the welfare all these sort of things and then what he does is because he's not strategically as sound as maybe he would like to be, he employs people and puts the infrastructure in place where his players can develop around that. So he has yeah. a strategic coach of Iria, yeah. Irayan, I don't know how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah. But I think if that is that something that you pretty much you're working on there at Diablo? Yeah, I, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I'm for, I guess the best way of understanding it is that, yeah, I'm just a bit of an as deprived world in men at the moment. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I, I also look up to him mm. um, and several other coaches for that matter, but mm. um, that's the kind of format that I do go about in doing where, mm. Um, where my game knowledge may lack out, I have someone there to make like work with that. Um, but in terms of the holistic, looking after the team, providing the best platform for improvement, um, mm. that's kind of like what I offer to a team. Yeah, because I think it, you said it nicely. In, in traditional sports, you don't get Mourinho or Emery or uh, maybe Pep does. I don't know about Pep. Yeah. Uh, you don't get these people that are like the goalkeeper coach, the centre-back coach, the wing-back coach. That yeah. doesn't exist. It, the infrastructure yeah. is they have the head coach and then they employ the group of people around them to help. Yeah, them. exactly. Like, if you look at Liverpool, right? Klopp's brilliant, having so much success. Mm. Like, if you think of the depth of their staff team, they even have a throw-ins coach. <laughs> um and like that's and they 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 legitimately are um last season they were the team with the most goals off throw-ins um last season um because throw-ins technically are a set piece play Mm -hmm. so um and they they treated it as one and they got a lot out of it right so that kind of shows you that it's about having a mastermind behind the plan but who then facilitates a lot of other people um and i guess that's yeah, that's what I do best is I, I be, be a f- facilitator, I guess. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that structure is what we're going to see a lot more, much like six months to eight months ago when I first started the podcast, I thought that team houses would go out the window. I think this is something that we're going to see significantly. Yeah, more, and I think yeah, I'm I'm strongly team against team houses. Yeah. yeah. If, it, if, <laughs> if that sort of infrastructure of having the head coach and the, 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 the infrastructure around that, sorry, it, that's not something that we're seeing now that's something that we will see in the next six six months one year two yeah months. yeah that's the yeah, that's the way i'm thinking about it as well yeah, yeah like so that's why i see it as a lucky opportunity yeah, to be sure. already doing that in the uk so awesome because the the uk is something that you said you coach singularity you're now with diabolus but prior to that you were in the in the university world now. yeah university scene in america they have the collegiate scene right which ends mm-hmm. up being broadcasted eventually in the nalcs arena um and it's it's an interesting pathway a much better pathway than uh, just seeing someone on the ladder and being like, okay, he's top yeah, yeah. challenger, let's give him a go. Um, but it is one of the ways that they can get close to becoming a pro. UK universities and UK esports in terms of the yeah. university side 
I have no idea. I don't have the background in. Not something that I looked yeah. into at my university. I know we don't have uh, the university I go to. It's not a big emphasis on esports. Um, so the UK university scene. What's that like? What's that like to work in? What's it like to be around? So it's very young, mm. um, and there's been so National University Esports League. Uh, Null has been around a little while, um, maybe five six years, mm. um, and they've recently got a lot of traction. Um, and there's a new league as well called NSC that's bucked, backed by Bucks, the British University Championship. Yep. Um, like the, the so that's the body for all of the sports. Yeah, the yeah. So basically, it's it's being it's a pseudo sport now because yep. it's being governed by the same governing body. Mm. Um, so when you take part in that league, NSC, you um, are able to basically compete and you get the same points table as the sports wow. do. Um, and Warwick was the highest on that sports table. So across all games, um, we were the most successful, uh, mainly off the back of a CSGO team that we had that won everything. Like, they're, they're incredible. Um, our league team still was formidable, finished third in both leagues, um, and our Rocket League teams are incredible as well. So, um, amongst many other Dota and stuff like that, we're all very... I mean, we win. We, we either win or we're in the, the... We're in the knockout stages of every single game. Like, you don't... you. You don't play in a game without having to play against Warwick, basically. So, um, but in terms of the, the the kind of the tournaments themselves, they're very young. It's developing. Um, you kind of put yourself in and volunteer on this online format, and it is really great. And um, the difference between it with than collegiate in America is it's a lot more grassroots here, where you kind of put yourself forwards, you get involved with your teams, and and you play online, but it's super open access, so anyone can be playing. So obviously, like I said, I first got involved in competitive esports just playing with a casual gold team, um, which was in the university league. So you'll have bronze teams playing against each other at the bottom of um, the ladder, and they d- divide it into divisions, so it's pretty fair, and you still get a big, a really good feel in terms of you feel like you're winning stuff because you've got divisions you can be promoted and relegated and stuff so i've coached teams in the top divisions but i've also like i started by playing teams and like playing as a team in the middle division um and that's quite cool and it's really enjoyable um it's very grassroots i guess but the collegiate scene's got so much money in it you've got scholarships and stuff um, and I think that's the next step for UK esports is that we can see it coming. So some teams are actually offering scholarships now. Yeah. Um, you see that at Staffordshire, mm-hmm. um, I think Roehampton yeah. as well, because um, they have their own like arenas and stuff. I mean, Kiel might offer some at some point because they have a venue as well. Um, but a lot of the time it's like you can't, you study a separate degree. So a lot of our students are like computer science students or data science students because um, Warwick offers one of the best computer science courses in the UK. So that's one of the reasons for our success is the fact that we attract a lot of very intelligent computer oriented people, um, which means that they're playing video games because that's a logical pastime for them. Um, so. A lot. It's more of a thing on the side, um, and if you look at a team like Exeter, which is the current best League of Legends team, has been for two years. Um, they're extremely good. Saw them compete in Forge last year, and they they were beating um, UK teams. Uh, they went to uh, they went to Insomnia, and they took a game. They knocked out one of the UK teams that went to Insomnia uh, this time this time last year. Um, and now NSE gets a seed into Forge this summer. Um, so the winner of the NSE tournaments is a seeded place in Forge. Um, 
So that X, you'll likely see exit it there. Um, and the level of play is high. Um, I brought with me Heathen, this uh, Heathen and Koki. Um, like, unfortunately, like Koki ended up taking time off. Um, but um, I brought Heathen with me from the university scene um, because I rate the university scene so highly. But and I used to play against him so much, and I knew he was a, a leader of his team and knew he had potential, and kind of brought came came with me from the university scene to UK and he's shone as one of the best supports in the league yeah, yeah. Um, regardless of the fact that he's a rookie um, you see him in like the matches to watch and things like that and this, is, this guy's really shining and he's like that's that's kind of how it is and that that's not even there's that's just the start of it there's so many more people that I think have so much potential if you look at um, Exeter's team as a collective they could beat a lot of the UK teams and yeah. um, they definitely put us through our paces um, and I think they can go a long way and they, they they don't even see this as like but that's that's where the issue comes in is that they don't see this as a career or a genuine opportunity they mm-hmm. can do it because they enjoy doing it yeah. um, they're also really good um, and there was other university people that I approached and said like hey would you be interested in doing this at the UK level um, and some of them were just like, no, actually, I prefer doing it at university. Um, it's more casual. I'm, I don't want to commit to it as a career. Um, but also because the level of gameplay and the competitiveness of playing it, uh, you get just as much out of it. Mm. So you get a game day each week and the format is just as kind of satisfying as mm. this. In fact, you'd argue that the, the format of, you, of that is could even be better. But yeah. <laughs> That's a can of worms that some people don't like. (laughs) (laughs) The tower system. Yeah, exactly. So do you see university esports as as that another pathway? uh, Yeah, I see it as a stepping stone, yeah. yeah. Because previously in esports it had been like, we'll find someone in the ladder. And now Mm. it was like academy teams come in. So if we find someone in the ladder, the perfect example is Maggie Felix. is like really good in Challenger. Let's throw him in Fnatic Academy, see how he does. And, you know, those sort of things. And and potentially not Fnatic Academy because he played in competitive teams before. Um, mm. But that was an interesting take. Now, this could be something that's an easier path because UK, 90%, well, I don't I don't know the right statistics, but a lot of people go from school straight to university, right? Um, yeah. And that could be a place where they find out if this is something they want to do. It yeah, exactly. something that they find in the first place, you know? And that could be the feeder into UK, which could be, mm. unfortunately, the feeder into the French League or the Spanish League and then the LSE, yeah. you know? Is that something yeah, that's exactly. in the case? Yeah, that's exactly how I see it. Um, that's exactly how I see it. It's just the way I see my own coaching career as well as players' careers. Um, and like, I think that the difference is, like you say, not just plucking someone off a ladder. Because if you pluck off someone off a ladder um, without really in-depth interviews, which is actually what we did as our hiring process for this current roster that we've got, we did in-depth interviews, um, several with our players before we even offered a contract. Um, Without doing that, you don't get a grip of what that person's like or what they what they will, and you'll never know what they're going to be like in a competitive environment. Sure. Um, so you have to take um, an educated risk yeah. um, when you sign these people. So obviously, plucking someone off the top of the ladder, they might be able to beat them in lane, but they might be really toxic or mm-hmm. might damage the team environment, or they might just have no macro knowledge altogether because you don't necessarily need the macro knowledge to climb. Um, and that's the difficulty right and so that's 
basically what university does is give you that competitive experience and if you want to do well the teams that do well aren't the high elo teams mm-hmm. the, the teams that do well are the most cohesive teams that have put the most effort into practicing like last season um we lost curb because he was playing with diabolus mm-hmm. um I, we signed a D4 Renekton one trick as our top laner. Um, uh, and like my mid laner was a master Katarina one trick. Uh, my jungler had been with the team a little while, but I actually had an academy team for my university team. So we had like a, our second team was called Grey Warwick Academy. Um, and I ran them both for a while, which was a lot of effort. Um, and send our jungler he came through the academy team up into the top team so he was like low diamond i picked him up he played he played really well i watched him do really well put him on the academy team then he made his way into the first team which is the same as um our mid laner as well he did the same he came up through the academy team so i kind of developed this these talent just because they were good in a team environment and had this team of people that weren't necessarily the highest elo in uk they did end up being the highest elo in the uk because they were just putting more hours into league of legends just so that they could improve um and then we picked up koki he was a fresher um and then our captain phil who'd been has been playing in the university scene for years because for some reason he never seems to graduate so he's constantly (laughs) constantly playing league of legends so we had this roster of people put together and like Phil hit challenger at one point, but at the same time, Phil will go down to D3 at any any point in time. Um, and it was because these guys worked hard and were a whole team that we finished third, regardless, even when we lost Curb, who obviously is like a like mid, mid-high challenger like player. You've seen how good he is in the UK scene. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the impact that he makes in a university scene, right? Sure. Um, and a lot of people were like, oh, they've lost him. They're done for. But we we still finish consistently highly um so kind of shows that it's much more about the team than the individuals which yeah. is how it should be because it teaches it teaches these people who have say say your challenger and then you go to university and then you play in the university scene it teaches you to realize that the team is much more than yourself yeah. um which is the definitely the biggest issue in esports is dealing with people that think that that them themselves as an individual is bigger than the team mm-hmm. um and just learning that let alone learning all of the the macro the the te- the practice regimes the um the team just the communication in team environment let alone learning that learning the importance of being a team player um at the very minimum is so big yeah. when you sign someone from a uni team rather than straight off the ladder yeah I mean, the interesting thing for me, and it sounds like we, uh, I could be wrong, but it sounds like we have a similar opinion on this. Um, It's very easy to uh, go down the route of having like a result-based analysis and and the result having like a completely arbitrary, well, not completely arbitrary, but to an extent, D4, D1, Challenger, there's an an element of uh, an arbitrary nature to that, right? Where um, you could have someone, as you said, a D4, Renekton, one trick, and I'm guilty of that as well, because that made me like laugh a little bit. I was like, D4. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, exactly, and and he was he was a he was one of our best players last season. Like Amazing. this guy shines. So. And, and and this is the thing that I think people can be very guilty of is you go D four, therefore he's trash. He's a one trick, therefore he's mm. trash. And you don't yeah. down you don't explore the other avenues that actually this guy could be phenomenal for X, Y, and Z reason. And, yeah, and yeah, he was the hardest worker. Ever. He was the hardest worker on the team. He. If I said we need to learn these champions, we'd learn them. Like yeah. this guy used to never play range tops. Range tops were meta. He learned every single range top. Mm. 
but he was also the same guy that would play Sion in the Sion Ergot matchup and be happy about it because he was willing to put the team before himself. So he was, I w- and I had better, I had much higher ELO players that I could potentially have put in the top lane. I did trials at my university. We do trials at the beginning and every season because I treat it more like a sport where you have um trials like university sport there's always trials right so i I just i just try and treat it like a university sport because that's what it is um and we had the trials and i knew that this guy would adapt much better than anyone else so and he did and it showed shout out to that guy what was it yeah his his name's dard hong um (laughs) his in-game name but yeah he's a he's He's uh yeah his name's Felix but he doesn't have Twitter so I can't can't really give him too much clout well, but yeah he's yeah, he's great he's amazing Felix, so well done dude because <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that professionalism is something that I think is really important and keeping professionalism yeah. in esports and, and straying away from the unfortunate situation of having people sit at their computers for sixteen hours a day eating pizza yeah exactly food delivered right next to them eating yeah while yeah playing games you know this is another example of it but that professionalism of having the trials I think is a really good thing as well. Um, but the the other an interesting topic for me and, and something that you seem to have excelled in is coach education so mm. my, my background is a tennis coach always had yeah. tennis since 13 so mm. nine, actually same age as you for athletics so started at 13 yeah. I'm now 22 yeah. nine years whatever coaching traditional sports my coaching education comes from reading lots of books about coaching studying yeah. that sort of stuff at university but also doing qualifications now yeah. sports you don't have journal articles. You don't have research articles in the yeah. same way that you do for traditional sports. You don't have. Mm. You can't go to the LTA like I can in tennis. Go and get qualified in the LTA. How, yeah. as a coach, do you learn? Where do you get your knowledge from? Because one thing that I've noticed is the more I talk to people, the more knowledgeable I get. But obviously, that's not always the easiest outlook. So, from your perspective, uh, and to be where you are now, um, where did you learn from? I mean, watching insane amounts of vods. Um, in terms of that, so the coaching oriented stuff like, like i say it's like you say is i get that from my coaching background um i'm very much a learn by doing kind of person so i do i read about traditional sport um one of the big things that uh one another thing i'm really lucky to have with diablos like i can't talk any more highly about these guys they're incredible um ash the ceo he um we were talking in depth um about he was he'd just finished reading alex ferguson's um autobiography um who's obviously an incredible coach right yeah exactly and he's a big united fan um and i basically like one of the reasons that i was attractive to them was the fact that i do this kind of in-depth coaching stuff rather than just oh i was a high low player i know the game really well um but where i get my stuff from is watch a lot of pod like i like to watch the podcasts especially the lec the euphoria one is amazing mm-hmm. um every time a coach is on that i'll watch that one like two three times um uh also just kind of in- interacting with people is really good as well a lot of these guys will talk to you if you reach out to them mm-hmm. um i don't do that enough actually that's one thing that i've been saying i should do more mm-hmm. um but like i do I just do a lot of kind of reading about it in traditional sport and then moving on i mean the reason i do the reason I'm doing academic research in esports, part of the reason mm-hmm. is the fact that there isn't much academic research in esports. Yeah. So um, I'm actually actively reading about cohesion in sport and then trying to 
develop my own theory that actually applies to esports instead. Um, and hopefully, I'll be publishing a journal article on that it, in a few months. So, hopefully, yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully, there will be stuff to read. Yeah. Um, and maybe it'll be stuff that I'm writing, but mm. um, I think it should be stuff to read about esports coaching. Um, and that's one thing that I guess I'm trying to be proactive and actually create that for people. Yeah. Um, uh, have you heard of? Um, I've had. Uh, well, I would. Yeah, I would class him as a friend, maybe. Um, I've had Ismail <laughs> Pedraza. He's Rogue's, and I think his title is performance coach. Uh, for, yeah. For Rogue, yeah. Um, mm. Formerly worked for Misfits, all that sort of stuff. Had him on the podcast a couple of times. He's one of the absolute pioneers in esports research. Yeah. Um, but when I was looking for for my dissertation, something that I want to do is is performance coaching and, and relating that to esports. Yeah. Uh, it's in the idea is like here, but it's not really gone further than that. Um, but looking at it, one of the reasons why my university and, and the people involved weren't too keen on the idea of it was because there's very little to do with it generally. So it would be mm. something and a topic that I would have to do a lot of work on to find out about. Um, but yeah. he is definitely someone that is, uh, he's released a couple of journal articles, very interesting stuff. So uh, just for yourself, if you if you haven't read cool. it, know him, that's yeah. definitely someone. You have to link me this. Really, really good. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting because obviously you can spend so much time watching VODs and doing this and doing that. Um, but from my experience, the doing, as you said, is the bit where I have learned the most. Yeah, agreed. Reading these journal articles about sports psychology, how to manage people, finding the right coaching styles and developing that is like all well and good in terms of theory, but you never really know until you practice it. Um, mm. And I think that's one thing that I've learned the most from as well. So it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good because I'm keep hearing these uh, affirmations of the stuff that I've done yeah. as well. So good news for that. Um, but onto this split, we've spoken about a little bit about Diabolus and, and what you are doing at Diabolus. Um, and we've spoken about university esports, what that's going to look like, what you think that is now. Um, but this split has been an interesting one. So for anyone that is listening that doesn't know, um, I was in the been yeah. working in the same league as you, and that league is UK Esports, of course, so the UKLC. And in the UKLC, Diabolus is one of the teams, that's the team that you're with. Um, so I wanted to talk yeah. to you a little bit about what this split has been like for you. So um, in relation to many tier lists, and I want to reiterate massively that tier lists could not be more useless, in my opinion. I think yeah, I agree. I didn't partake in that. Of any esports whatsoever and for some reason the uk absolutely loves to to go over uh, uh tiers for the uk Scott, yeah the uk's drama central that's why hate it, honestly um, <laughs> but uh, you you guys have outperformed where you were targeted to be right yeah um i think that would be fair to say if you were to relate them to the tier lists mm. maybe probably not your opinion when you were looking at the split you were like eighth or ninth not a chance man um, yeah, no, absolutely no yeah. chance. So what, what's been one of the things you're focusing on uh, for Diabolus? So we've spoken about the welfare, so that was amazing. Um, but what's your takes on the split? Has there been any real points of focus? Maybe communication was something you thought was really important. Um, but what are your mm -hmm. takes on this split so far for you guys? I mean, this split, like, we, I guess you could say, like, we were exactly on target. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, fifth was where I said I wanted us to be. Um not in terms of being modest or under predicting, but purely because of the fact that we've got quite a long-term focus. Mm. Um, not not necessarily on keeping the roster together because that's almost impossible in ERLs. Um, I do want to keep as many of this roster as possible because mm. I really enjoy working with all of them. Um, but honestly speaking, it's because I my personal approach is long-term. 
Um, in fact, I've had some, I've had a, a, a few existential crises with that just purely because of the fact that it really doesn't feel like it fits esports at all. It's one um, of my biggest frustrations at the moment. Yeah, it's and it's one of my biggest frustrations, and esports is so short term. And until you get to the pro scene, until you get to the big leagues, mm-hmm. long term stuff isn't really, really valuable. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we've dropped games against people that we've recently dropped games against. And that's because we got so much early momentum purely because the guys meshed so well, so fast. Um, in fact, we had the least scrim time out of all of the teams in the whole league. Oh, wow. Um, because of the fact that we just had so many things to sort out and we got together late. Um, and we still had like one of the most successful first few weeks, right? We yeah. were second after the first week, um, maintained third for the next two. Mm. Um, and like, that was because they meshed so well because I put such an emphasis on communication and coordination and stuff. Um, and the the reason that we're now having this like slump as LVP um, is off the back of the kind of long-term oriented stuff. I'm not spoon feeding them strategy. Um, I'm more likely to take a step back and say, okay, now you guys do this for yourselves. Mm. Um, because what I want to build is a group of, good players but also a group of good strong like well-educated individuals um because like what you've seen um and like i was really looking forward to working with hansen who's now moved on to spanish league he's incredible i mean he gets a lot of like pluses in the uk scene Mm -hmm. um what you've seen with some of hansen's players is they've moved on and then they've struggled with their new teams um even someone who shines so much like gusa last season Mm -hmm. Um, he's had a rough few weeks and it felt really good to see him perform well um, on Thursday, obviously, against Excel, which who they beat. Um, it's really nice to see that he's got himself back in the driver's seat again. Um, and like Hansen's incredible and very good for es- as an esports coach because of his ability to give people the information they need to improve quickly. Um, but that may not necessarily be the best thing long term. Um, which, which my worry is that if it's so hard to keep his roster together, um, is that I want to make sure that I actually care about where they go next and I care about them when they move on. I don't want them to move on and feel like they've not got any legs anymore. Um, because I was their legs when they were on the roster. So there's a lot of learning for yourself. There's a lot of me giving them the resources and support they need to then go away and interpret that, how they, um, working on their identity as a player working on their um their own discipline and stuff like that Mm. so like i'd love to say that if all these guys moved on and we had a disaster and lost lost our whole roster for next split they'd all do equally as successful this Mm. season if not more successful um so it's a lot of kind of building new foundations um rather than just trying to improve fast because i'm a big i'm not a fan of the whole get get rich quick attitude in esports um so yeah, I, I think that what we've done is exactly on track um, and what I wanted. Uh, I think my biggest issue is more just kind of the realization that long-term approaches just don't work as well. Um, not that they don't work as in they're not suited. It's more that all the other teams are doing this short-term stuff, which means they're doing better in the short term. But if I'm to keep this team for another split or maybe even split after that... Um, it's all about having this long-term plan, which I've spoken about a lot every time I'm on one of these shows or when I did my article about who I am when I first joined Diabolus. It's all about long-term. Yeah. Um, and if I was able to keep a roster for a year, then 
I would strongly believe that these would this would be a really difficult to beat team because you could throw anything at them and the guys are so well grounded that nothing would throw them off. Yeah. And I, just just to reiterate, so anyone who's listening who maybe doesn't understand the UK scene or hasn't been involved in it, the constant struggle mm. that you, you speak about is, is the short term versus the long term. And the reason yeah. this is such a heavy struggle, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my take on it, is that uh, if 90% of people do short-term work, they are more likely to succeed in the short term, right? Obviously makes sense. Compared yeah, to those who unsurprising. Do, yeah, of course, who, who want to do well in the long term. Now, the issue a lot in esports is people move on very quickly. So generally, mm. uh, and I don't think there is a team now. In fact, I don't think there's any teams that has exactly the same roster or has more than one or two people that were on the roster on the previous split, right? So this is this is the big concern, is people move around very quickly, especially in UK esports, but generally in esports as well. Um, the ERLs have this an awful lot, where people go from teams, 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 teams. If you look at their Leaguepedias and their match, their previous teams, it's a list about yay long, you know? It's, it's seven, eight teams in some circumstances. So the, the issue that you speak of is, if everyone's doing short-term and you're doing long-term, you're going to lose out in the short-term, and you might not even win in the long-term because the roster might not even stay together. So mm, that's exactly the right. That you talk of. And it's it's a difficult one because this is so ingrained within people's mindsets in, in UK esports. And it's ingrained in players' mindsets as well, more often than not. Where if you try and uh, exacerbate the long term, you really push the long term for them. There are some circumstances where that doesn't go down very well because they're focused on three months, not three years. Um, and this is yeah, something exactly. that I have been trying to do in, in the team that I was working with as well. And, and luckily, it was received very, very well. That In fact, what I want to make you is a better human, like a better person. Yeah, yes, right. yes, yes. And, yeah, and I strongly the, agree. Couldn't. Yeah, that's the thing that luckily has been taken to. And I didn't have any pushback at all with that. Um, but mm. I can foresee that there might be pushback from people in the future, or there might be some people that have that three-month mindset rather than the three-year mindset. Yeah, I agree. So very very difficult and, and you know maybe speaking in the next couple of weeks on, on tuesday you guys as diabolus play against either enclave or phelan um, mm. which are two teams in the uk scene as well um the question is how, how's everything going for that like how, how has preparation been um obviously you've had a little bit more time off than the likes of enclave and phelan have as well because they're playing yeah a couple maybe an hour or two before your game on tuesday i don't exactly know how yeah. the structure is as of yet um, but yeah, what's, what's your take? How are you feeling? Feeling confident? Feeling happy? Obviously, you spoke about the slump that you guys ha- have felt yeah. with the focus on the long term, um, which is, you know, therefore arguably not even a slump in the first place. This is just something that you'll yeah. get back up from, you know. But, but what's your take? How's everything going? Um, I mean, good. I, the guys reacted, have been reacting really well to all of our losses. Mm. Um, and that's couldn't make me happier because of the fact that's why I built I built a team that would be ready to take losses positively yeah. um, and they did um, especially the most recent one um, and we've been kind of we went back to some basics um, and we we're actually relearning a lot of certain aspects mm. over the last few weeks mm. um, and now all those puzzle pieces are in place um, I think we're a really difficult team to play against um, especially shown much um, which is a really good advantage to us yeah. Um, in terms of preparing for these teams, is we've been, there's been a lot of emphasis on ourselves. So it's not been like, okay, we're playing against this team, so we're going to cheese them. Yeah. Um, and we've done that throughout the whole split, which is why we've occasionally, we, that's why we've dropped games in these best of ones that we probably shouldn't have dropped. I mean, it, um, again, it reiterates, sorry to interrupt, but it reiterates your long-term. Yeah, game, ex- exactly. Right? Yeah. The best of one system where you're just looking to win the first game so you can play on Thursday is really short-term oriented. So it's another issue I have. So mm. not only is my, for my coaching style that not 
not suited to esports. It's even less suited to UKLC because of the format, um, which I don't want to get into too much depth on. But um, yeah, I think the big thing is the fact that um, I, we've been focusing on ourselves a lot and what we want to do, which means the, that we need to face we're going to face some teams where in a best of three they may only have one or two strategies to play whereas we'll have several so we can show new things in every game of the first best of three and if we win that and move on to the next one we're going to have more strategies to show in those next ones because we've we've gone back to the basics when we had the time to so we effectively used the we used the safety blanket, yeah. the, the, the parachute that we built in the first few weeks, mm. to go to to do some proper team practice, yeah. so that we were ready for playoffs. And the focus has always been playoffs since like week three. Mm. Um, so hopefully it all pays off. Is uh, the way that I'm thinking about it. I just yeah. want it to pay off. Less so for me because I'm not I'm not stressed about tier lists, how people view me, how people view that, any of this. It's more I just want the players to be able to show them show how good they are on stage yeah. and because they're all incredible players and i don't care whether we win or whether we lose i just want the boys to go out and give their best showing mm. that's what matters to me so. amazing amazing and i think um from my point of view from a coach's point of view like a traditional sports yeah. coach's point of view that is a mindset that is so rife in traditional sports that will bleed into esports and if it doesn't there's a huge mistake you know yeah, yeah i agree the, the mindset that you have where it's like um, for example, using using the sort of the previous like three four weeks of UKLC is just like let's see what we can do, right? Let's see if this works here. Let's practice uh, and become yeah. that unit that when we get to the stage that you're at now, you're going to be even stronger. And luckily, you yeah. guys allowed yourselves to do that because you did so well early on. So uh, a, a really good one, promising for you guys for sure. Um, but that pretty much sums up all of the questions that I had, right? Yeah. The last question that I have, and this is one that I ask to anyone that comes on the podcast. Um, is what is one thing that you can teach me or the viewers from your world? Um, and this can be anything. Uh, previously, I had people on, if they were from, there was a guy who taught us a bit of Polish. Um, there was, uh, the previous person was the head of development from CLG. She taught uh, everyone a couple of strategies, uh, mental strategies to help you cope in certain situations. But from your That's world, really... it can be absolutely anything, right? So what is one thing that you can teach me or the viewers that you can oh, teach them? I mean, that's a cool question. Um... <laughs> I did get the questions in advance, but I didn't yeah. prepare for this one. Right, um, right. But I think stress, yeah? I think what I, I guess I'd give you something linguistic, mm. uh, kind of to show you more about yeah. um, like kind of my degree and stuff. Mm. So obviously, I do a lot of team kind of esports communication. Um, so like psycho and sociolinguistics, mm. uh, which is all about like what we think about when we're talking and what we're, and also the sociolinguistics, which is like how does talking impact your your social ability and how the how the social worlds create um, these things. Um, and I guess what I'd impart is something a bit more obscure, I guess, from the other side of my degree, which is um, like the linguistic side is um, in terms of languages, English itself is really interesting for esports because of its origins. Um, and the way that language adapts in esports is kind of cool. And it's adapting because of the way that we're actually developing a new kind of sub language, which is called a community of, it's called a community of practice, mm. um, or it's linguistically a community of practice, but, um, 
is basically where lots of people from lots of backgrounds with different world experiences they come together and community of practice is the word for it it's really cool you'd really enjoy reading about it i'd recommend you do um and we're kind of creating that in esports and it's really driven by twitch chat and that's really (laughs) cool um and one thing that i found really interesting and blew my team's mind when i told them so as my little i guess if i can make it into a fun fact Mm. it would be that Actually, the origin of English is um, Dutch, um, and English is not related to any of the Romance languages, biologically speaking. So all of our French words, all of our Spanish words in our language, um, they're just borrowed words from when they have invaded us so many times. Um, like, all of that, or, and when we invaded them as well, because we invaded a lot of people, but... Um, like all of the kind of words we have from French and Romance languages are just borrowed that we've used because we didn't actually have a word for that thing. For example, baguette, we just didn't know what a baguette was until we saw one, so we call it baguette. Um, And yeah, English is um, part of the Indo-Germanic tree. So technically it's a German form of language, um, which, and then, I'm skipping a lot of steps here, but German made Dutch and then Dutch effectively birthed English. Um, and I, I work with Freud, my Dutch boy on my team. Um, and it's really cool to see how our grammars, I guess, deteriorate when we're talking together a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's because of kind of the origin of English. So I like that's that's my my fun fact is that Dutch birthed English. Wow. Because that's sort of my my opinion, and, and clearly wrong, was that there was a, an element like it was only from Latin, and that was it. English is basically nah, Latin. we're not we're not related to Latin that's biologically. So in, English is biologically not related to Latin, so there's a lot of Latin. So there's a lot of Latin languages in Europe, obviously, but we're not a Latinate language. No, we're a Germ- we're a Germanic language. So there's there's like two sides of the European tree, yeah, um, and we're on the German side. Well, there you go. That's very. <laughs> That's news for me. That shocked me. God. I was like, why are we all in schools? Latin, yeah. In UK schools, Latin is something that a lot of schools mm. do, right? They, they have French, Spanish, and Latin, maybe some German in there as well. From my yeah. Um, bizarre. News to me. Amazing. No, thank you for that. That was a super interesting one. <laughs> so, that, as I said, that pretty much sums up everything. So, thank you for imparting cool. knowledge. Thank you ever so much for coming onto the show. I really cool. appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having it's me. Been a really interesting conversation. Um, and it's, you know, from my perspective, I'm very, very glad to see that there are people from the world of traditional sports from the world of coaching that have bled into esports i think the more of of that sort of person and that sort of Mm. mindset uh that can come across to esports the better personally um so yeah as i said thank you ever so much for coming to the show if people want to get in contact with you want to follow what you're doing um maybe to follow the team that you're you're working with where's the best place to sort of find all of that information i mean so yeah go follow my team um we had our second birth the the organization's second birthday yesterday or the day before um so yeah go give diabolus a follow at diabolus esports on twitter um come join the discord and talk to us we do like predictions each week for the league so you should come in and give your team some hype um and that's really cool so that's really fun but if you want to contact me uh my twitter's dbl coach um and that's pretty much where i'm most active to be honest well all of your information will be in the description when the podcast is released nice so um as i said i appreciate you coming on to the show it's been a really really interesting one and for everyone who's listening i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have again this is uh, another one that uh, i think has got so much value out of it so 
Um, I hope you guys who are listening have got the most out of it that you can. Thank you ever so much for listening, and thank you cool. to Coach for coming onto the show as well. Cool. Hope you guys Thanks very much. And have a wonderful day.